0: I wonder what comes to mind for you when you first hear the word Christian. I asked around some people that question and had them send in videos of their responses. So let's take a look at that. Jesus. Someone that goes to church and has a church community. Uh, People crossing themselves and pronouncing the word with a Russian accent, Christian. When I hear the, the word Christian, the first thing that comes to mind is life, uh, life giving, um, a life of purpose, and a life following Jesus. Faith. What's the first thing you think of when you hear the word Christian? Jesus. Now, the only people who responded to, to my question were, were either other Christians who are already a part of our church or perhaps part of my extended family. And so overall, they've given very positive, glowing responses, which is really great. But that's not necessarily how others, especially outside of the church, see us. Generally speaking, in our Western culture, Christians are perceived as hypocritical and fake as judgmental and bigoted, conservative and old-fashioned, anti-LGBTQI and boring killjoys. It's not a positive image at all. But that's the kind of thing that many people think of when they think of Christians. Now, while we might very well be misunderstood and misrepresented and we might want to push back against such, such a perception, It seems, though, that there's a a serious disconnect between the life that we proclaim and the life we aspire to on the one hand and what people actually perceive of us. To be honest, far too often we don't help our image problem. I remember meeting with someone who was having an affair with someone else's spouse, and and I can't remember if I actually said it to them, but I, I know that I certainly thought it, and that was that I just wished that they would stop claiming the name Christian because it was making the rest of us look bad. See, the name Christian, it means something. It has the title of Jesus in it. It has Christ or Messiah, God's promised saviour and king, the the one who exercises his good authority over the kingdom of God, which is the place where God's rule and his reign is recognised and obeyed. And then it's got this little bit Ian at the end, that refers to a group of people who followed the person whose name is at the front. So I don't know what you think, for instance, of, of Daniel Andrews's leadership uh, through this COVID time, but if you were fully on board with, with him and his approach, you might be an Andrewian. Or in the Bible, we had the Herodians, people who f- uh, were committed to and followed after Herod. And then, of course. Christians, Christians, a group of people who, who identify themselves as belonging to Christ, who follow Christ, and who are becoming more like Christ. So Christian means something. And those of us who call ourselves Christians, we need to live up to it. We need to live up to that name because the name is pointing beyond us, beyond ourselves to to someone else, the one whose name we claim. C.S. Lewis once wrote that the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, then all all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time Because God became man for no other purpose. So the answer to the question, what do you think of when you first hear the word Christian, should be Jesus? Now, all of this leads us to our passage for today uh, from Acts 11, starting at verse 19. Because it's in this passage in verse 26 that we read of the disciples first being called Christians, first getting this name. This name for them seems to have come from people from outside of the church, probably to, to mock them, uh, to mock these ones who followed and served Jesus. But for all the the mockery that may have, you know, prompted the naming, clearly these disciples were living in a distinctive way uh, that made it obvious to others that it was Christ who they identified themselves with. And in this passage, we can see a number of features of of such a Christ-following, Christ-identifying life. So let's look at it from the beginning. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. These verses put the the incident back into its context. Back in chapters 7 and 8, We read of the persecution of the church that started. And as a result of that, the disciples were were scattered all over the place. And as they went, they went preaching the good news of Jesus. We saw that specifically in the life of Philip and and his uh, example of that. And now we read, we don't have any names that these are nameless disciples here, but who are now doing that same work of preaching the good news about Jesus Wherever they've been scattered. Now initially, initially though, they were still just telling other Jews about Jesus. I mean, Jesus was a Jew; they were a Jew. Christianity kind of grew out of uh, Judaism, and so it kind of makes sense that they just stayed with uh, telling the message to Jews to these people who they presumed would be receptive to hear the story. But in verse twenty we see that some of them also begin to go outside of the Jewish community and begin to speak to the Greeks or the Gentiles as well. And in speaking to these Greeks, the disciples tell them, we read, of the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, this is a message that's being shared in Antioch, which is the third largest city in the Greco-Roman Empire, um, Greco-Roman world, rather, and the principal city in the Roman province of Syria. In such a context, it's Caesar who is Lord. And, And so this is the radical message of Christianity, that it's Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the king, that he is the one that we give primary and first allegiance to. This is what got the early Christians into trouble and led them to martyrdom because they would not renounce Jesus as their Lord, nor would they name Caesar as a God. So then in verse 21, we see the first mark of what it is that identifies someone as a Christian. They believed and they turned to the Lord. Turning to Jesus uh, then entails turning from Something else. They were turning from their old way of life and they were turning to the one where Jesus was their Lord, where Jesus was their authority over their lives. In effect, that they laid down their own crowns and they rejected Caesar's crown as they instead recognized and submitted to the crown of Jesus, to his rule and his authority. And as such, then they lived in obedience to Jesus and to his will. And in doing so, they would have become more like him. Well, we see two more marks of what it means to be a Christian. This first one is, is to recognise and to claim Jesus as their Lord. But as the story continues, we see two more marks of what it means to be a Christian. From verse 22, just this next paragraph. News of, of these uh, Jew, uh, Jews and Greeks becoming, uh, putting their faith in, in the Lord Jesus News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts he was a good man full of the holy spirit and faith and brought a great and a great number of people were brought to the Lord Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, and we see him encouraging these early disciples here. But Barnabas comes from Jerusalem, where they've heard news about what has been going on. He comes from there to Antioch to check out what they've been hearing about. And he sees evidence of God's grace at work in their lives. Uh, He sees evidence of them having turned to Jesus as Lord. And so then now he encourages them to to firstly to remain true to Jesus and secondly to do so with all their hearts. Now, to remain true means to persevere and to abide in Christ. We use such language in the context of marriage about a couple remaining true to each other. It's not just that the couple makes a, a commitment to each other, you know, just in that moment of the wedding and then they have nothing to do with each other ever after. No, rather they continue to abide with one another literally. And they bring their lives increasingly together till death do us part. In doing so, they live their lives in light of the other. Not just doing as they please, but but doing what will please and serve and bless the other. And it's so too for us as Christians. We remain true to Christ, continuing to give him our, our allegiance, our commitment, and to do so not just when it's convenient, not just when it's easy, not just you know, when we feel like it, not just for, for short periods of time here and there, but all of the time. We remain true to him. And so this perseverance is reflective then of a commitment to follow Christ with all their hearts, it's about being wholehearted with, with everything thrown in and nothing held back. Jesus himself said that the greatest commandment of them all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So if all is given to God, then there's nothing left for, for anything else. It's an, it's an all-in exclusive relationship. And this is why then that Christians who prioritise sport over church on a Sunday, who pursue money and and work to the destruction of their family, who are proud and demeaning to others when when they're challenged or, or anything else that you can think of like that. It's why such Christians stand out because we inherently know, don't we, that a Christian who is wholeheartedly following Christ wouldn't act in such a way. We know that for them, and let's be honest, we know that for us to act in such a way means that Christ only has a part of their hearts, of our hearts, and not the whole of it. Again, you know, in the analogy of marriage, it's not, it's not okay. It's not acceptable for, for one of the partners to, to have you know, occasional affairs here and there and, and expect them to, to come back into the, the marriage bed because the, the, the spouse doesn't have their whole heart. It's being divvied up and sent to, given to other people. And that's not what it is to be. Instead, we are to follow Christ remaining true to him and doing so with all of our hearts. So Christians, as we've seen from this passage, are those who are marked by having Jesus as their Lord, who persevere in following him and who do so with their whole hearts. We see more as we continue through the passage, verse 25 now. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now notice here that Barnabas and Saul met with the church. These new disciples, you know, having heard the message of the good news, um, and responded to it, turning to Jesus. These new disciples now gathered together as a church. And this has been one of the great losses for us that, that we've experienced through this time of COVID, that we've not been able to, to meet together. That's why we have such an emphasis on meeting in a, in a neighbourhood church and gathering in a smaller way like that, even if it needs to be over Zoom, as it, it may still need to be in Victoria because gathering together with the church, gathering regularly together with the church is a mark of a Christian. Now, I don't want to make this a hobby horse or um, or a bugbear, but, but it really is one for me. See, we don't commit to following Jesus and to being a Christian only, you know, every second or third week. We don't commit to being a Christian or, or following Jesus only when we've had a quiet Saturday and so we don't mind having to give up, you know, our Sunday morning as well. I mean, if we're a Christian, we are one all of the time and the church gathers every week. And so we should be part of it every week. Now, undeniably, doing so requires a sacrifice of time. But by that sacrifice, we express with our lives the priority of and our commitment to Christ in our lives. And as such, it's a witness to our own hearts and to that of our family and maybe most significantly to our watching neighbours, colleagues and friends. I mean, when we could still meet together, I often wondered what people thought on a Sunday morning when our street was quiet, when no one was out and about. And here I was dressing up nicely and leaving home early to to come and to spend my Sunday morning at church. I used to wonder what they think, and I've since found out that everyone knows that I'm the priest, uh, the local priest up the road. And so obviously it stands out. We may not realise it, but it's obvious. I mean, let's be honest, there's plenty of other things that we could be doing with our Sundays, especially you know, as spring kicks in and we're having some beautiful, glorious weather. It stands out, you know, it it marks us for us to dedicate this time to gathering together with other Christians in the church. And it's one of the things that would have been seen and observed in the lives of these disciples in Antioch. And as they gathered in this way, they were taught They were continually learning and growing in their knowledge of God and of his word and of what it means to live in his kingdom under his lordship. They were humble and teachable. I mean, they knew that they hadn't yet arrived. They knew that they didn't know everything there was to know. And so coming under the teaching of Barnabas and of Saul, they were built up in their faith, becoming more and more mature and more and more like Christ. And so it's no wonder then that they were first called Christians at Antioch. They submitted to Christ. They persevered in him. They wholeheartedly followed him. They gathered with others who did likewise. They continued to learn and grow in him. And as such, they progressively grew to look like him. They were all about Jesus. He was central or core to their lives. Dallas Willard said something like this. That discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Now that is incredibly profound and incredibly challenging. But that is exactly what discipleship is. That is exactly what following Jesus is all about, to become who Jesus would be if he were you. And that is what is going on in this passage as we see you know, the the heart of Jesus expressed in the closing verses. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And I find that funny. It's very, um, we've noticed that living in Wodonga, um, we go down to Sydney and we come up from Melbourne. Oh no, we go up to Melbourne, down from Sydney. We're, we're all very mixed up in our, our directions. And it's the same here because um, Antioch is actually up, from Jerusalem and so but anyway it's a very seems to be a Victorian thing I think but that during this time some prophets came down from down from Jerusalem to Antioch even though we know they really went up one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world and this happened during the reign of Claudius the disciples as each one was able decided to provide help For the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Here we see these early Christians looking beyond themselves and looking beyond their own needs to act generously and sacrificially for the good of others. They gave of themselves to support and bless the church back in Judea, people who they probably had never even met but yet who they recognised as part of their family of faith, as their brothers and sisters in Christ. They acted for the good of others. And in the early years of the church, uh, beyond what we read in the pages of Scripture, this is one of the things that really helped the church to grow. Yeah, a plague went through the empire, and it was the Christians who cared for the plague victims uh, at great personal risk. And their compassion, their care, their love, their concern, their um, concern, showed up in stark contrast, the the seeming indifference of the government and of the the Roman bureaucrats and and authorities. Christianity and its care for others was noticed and it stood out and it was attractive and compelling and drew others to the faith and to following Jesus. Such behaviour was and is reflective of the character of Christ who at great personal cost to himself gave of himself for our good to save us from our sin and to give us new life in the kingdom of God. So these early Christians lived like Jesus. They lived worthy of the one whose name they bore in that name, Christian. And so we come back then to to where we started. It's no small thing to claim to be a Christian. As being a Christian, it has to make a difference to our lives. It says that we belong to Christ, that we name him as our Lord and that we are then seeking to live according to his will and so to become more like him. Being a Christian is not just about having a ticket for heaven when you die. It's about living in the kingdom of God now with all the implications on your life that that entails. So here's a question for us all to reflect on. And if you're bold even, to discuss it with others in your neighbourhood church or in your family or whoever you're watching this with. And I'd encourage you to, to actually have the conversation, not just think it. But the question is this. Would someone know that you're a Christian if you didn't tell them? That you were? Another way to get at it would be to ask what would stand out to others about your life? Is your allegiance to Jesus as Lord evident? Is your commitment to follow Him and to become like Him working its way out in your life? Would someone see what would someone see in your life to know that you're a Christian? Or conversely, what would someone see in your life that would prompt them to to question that claim? Would someone know that you're a Christian if you didn't tell them? Certainly these early Christians in in Antioch, their their faith in Jesus stood out, prompting others around them to give them this name. Would, Would you also be found out in that way? And today... You know, maybe maybe you're not actually a Christian yourself, but maybe you'd like to be. And the good news of of Jesus that these early disciples shared in Antioch was that what you were powerless to do, and that is to to deal with your sin, God did for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus bore your sin and its punishment on himself as he died on the cross. And then he rose again to, to new life. And in doing so, He gives us His life and His righteousness through our faith in Him. And as a result, we're made right with God and we're able to live a new life in His kingdom. It's not that we have to call Him Lord. It's that we get to and we get to live into the, the fullness of life and life as it was meant to be lived as we uh, walk in obedience to Him. And so, church, let's, let's pray together that each of us, those who call ourselves Christians, that we would live like it. And perhaps those of us who who aren't yet there, that you might come to a place of saving faith in Jesus. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and the witness uh, within it of the lives of these early disciples, these early followers of you. We thank you that they lived in such a way that that people around them could could look at them and see you in their lives that would prompt them to to give them this name of Christ ones. And so God, I pray for us, your church here, that we would live worthy of the name that that we claim, that we would uh, live up to all that that means, that we would become little Christ's that you'd be so working your your transforming spirit within us that we would be turning from sin, that we'd be turning from our own way. And instead, God, we would be turning to you and to Jesus and to walking uh, according to his will to live in his kingdom and powered by your spirit, God. We pray this, May our, may our time in church, may our reading of the word not just be, you know, an activity we undertake, but may it be a means of your transforming work in us, we pray. God, may our lives then, living like Jesus, just become attractive and compelling to others, that they too would be drawn to you and to know you. And so, God, I want to pray for those who aren't yet Christians, and I pray, God, that you would be at work in them to turn them to you. And if, if you're watching, listening to this today, and you are ready and willing and eager to commit your life to Christ, to make him your Lord and to give him your allegiance, just, just pray with me to say, and God, I, I recognise that I'm a sinner and I'm unable to do anything about it. I thank you for Jesus who bore my sin himself, died on a cross, was buried and then rose again to new life. In doing so, God, he dealt with my sin that I might receive your forgiveness and that I might have new life in him. God, that's what I want. And so I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to experience his good news and call him my Lord and my Saviour to live as part of your kingdom and to experience all that you would have for me. And if you've prayed that, that today, it'd be awesome for you to let someone know. Maybe it's someone in, your, in the neighbourhood church who you're gathering with. Maybe it's a, a friend Um, or or email the the church or or do something to to let us know that that's awesome. And let's then now, church, respond even further. We've responded to God uh, and to his word in prayer. Let's continue to pray, though, as we sing, uh, asking that we become more like Jesus. So Josh and Rachel will lead us in this.